Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am always happy to be here with you and you can always send me a voice message and ask a question, suggest a guest, pick a topic. It will be in the show notes, so just look out for those or send an email to 13th Avenue Media at gmail.com. That's spelled out 13th Avenue is spelled out media at gmail.com. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and we are going to be talking about suicide. So please, if you are in need of help, reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. We need you here with us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am very happy to bring a guest today, brave and bold, to speak about Suicide Prevention Month along with me. Her name is Jennifer Dietz. She is an attorney and so much more that I'm not going to expand upon. You could read about it in the bio that we've put in the show notes. Um, I was introduced to Jennifer through my dear friend, Annabelle, who knows how much I uh, thrive on speaking about mental health and suicide prevention. So Jennifer, thank you for being here with us today. I look forward to hearing more about your story and your great efforts to help in removing the stigma. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I, my name is Jennifer Dietz and I was born as an identical twin. And um, I grew up in the picture perfect neighborhood, um, went to the picture perfect schools with my twin. And um, I became a lawyer from the University of Florida and she became a dentist at the University of Florida. And we both set out on our careers she was, my twin sister was an Ironman. She was an accomplished triathlete. She did three Ironman competitions. Oh and her last one was in New Zealand and each one she finished, which is utterly amazing to me. Amazing. And she didn't start until she was 36 years old training. And then um, I wanna tell you a little bit about my dad. Uh, when I was 25, my dad was suffering from what I now know is depression and anxiety. Unfortunately, I didn't know it back then. And one of his last acts was to send me a list of psychiatrists and a $1,000 check when I was in law school to go see a psychiatrist. And I thought that was very odd. And then a week later, I got the call from my mother while I was in uh, at my clerkship in Jacksonville, I got a call from my mother down in Coral Gables, which is a suburb of Miami. And she said very quietly, your dad has died. You must come home. But in the interim, you must go get Jackie in Gainesville and bring her with you. So I drove all the way to Gainesville from Jacksonville with no tears really flowing. Just the, I was stunned. When the news came about, I fell to my knees and dropped the phone. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So then I picked it up after a couple of minutes and said, I will get Jackie and I will tell her. I had the horrible task of telling my twin sister that our father had passed away and that she needed to come home with me um, on, a, on a plane from Jacksonville to Miami. So we drove back to Jacksonville holding hands in the car as we normally would do in a stressful situation. And she cried, but I still didn't cry yet. But what I did do was I started vomiting. And that tends to be a reaction that a lot of people have when they learn that someone has died. So we get to Miami and uh, it's an 11, we arrive at 11 o'clock in the evening. The house is lit up and there's all sorts of people there uh, from the Catholic church. My mom worked at the Catholic church. She worked at the rectory. So there were a lot of priests there. My uncle flew in, my aunt and uncle flew in, um, just my brother, my, my other sister, everyone was there and I couldn't stop throwing up. So our neighbor gave me a shot of, I think it was Zofran, which knocked me out for about 14 hours, which was probably a good thing. Ah. But come Saturday evening, my mother called all the children into the den and said, I have to talk to you. So she shut the door and she locked it. Mm -hmm. So the children were in the den with my mother with the house all a bustle. And she said, your dad committed suicide. He jumped off of a roof 52 stories high because she didn't want us to find out from anyone else, any neighbor, the police, anyone. Um, and the first question we all asked was why? What, why? He seemed so great. He was a brilliant engineer. He did most of the buildings in South Florida. He did the, the foundations for the buildings and the bridges in South Florida. But if you remember back in the 80s, times started to get tough. So um, there wasn't a lot of building like there is now in South Florida. So he decided that since he wasn't bringing in enough money to the family, that he would end his life and he had a life insurance policy. And that was his way out, his way of gracefully leaving. And we never saw the body. We never, we never had the opportunity, nor did we want to. We had the whole Catholic mass and, and the funeral and the burial and, and things like that. Um, interestingly, my dad had already bought a big plot in the Catholic cemetery um, in Miami. So uh, the whole family could be buried there. And uh, we weren't of super means, but uh, that definitely cost him a lot of money. But now I know why he did it because he was looking, uh, he was getting ready for his departure. Well, go forward about, and I suffered. Well, Jennifer, let me stop you and just say, sure. I'm so sorry. For your Thank loss. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that very much, Sharon. Mm. That's very kind of you. Um, so we, we struggled greatly because we weren't given any help to get through the, the loss, the suicide. The loss would have been one thing, but a suicide is another thing completely. And now we're in suicide prevention month. And I belong to a suicide prevention training institute, which is a non-for-profit organization 
that helps HR managers and managers of corporations and even presidents of corporations understand how to deal with suicidal people in their corporations, people showing suicidal ideations. So we help to train those people. That's wonderful. What is the name of this organization? It's called Suicide Prevention Training Institute. When was this founded? This was founded last year and it's run by uh, myself and several other fantastic people, wonderful mm -hmm. people. Uh, T.C. Cooper and his wife, Laurel. Marianne, she's a, a, a wonderful person um, and several other members. I'm on the board of directors mm -hmm. as well as the other folks that I just mentioned. And in a moment, I'll give you a phone number in case somebody has a, a desire to want to call Suicide, Pre uh, Suicide Prevention Training Institute and talk to them about what they can do for their organization. Bravo to you, bravo. Oh, thanks. Work you're doing. So Thank I'm sorry you. to interrupt. You were talking now about you. Well, what I, me personally, um, getting over my dad's death was very hard because I was becoming a young lawyer at the time. I, I, he died when I was in law school. Mm -hmm. So when I became a young lawyer and then became a more, when I became a professor at Stetson, even more so, I missed being able to tell him my accomplishments yeah. and I missed having him um, say good job and but I had my twin always to say hey you're doing great you're really doing a wonderful job and I'm so proud of you so I was really totally in love with my twin as one would be mm -hmm. um, we being identical we didn't share a lot of things in adulthood. I didn't do the triathlons and the, and the Ironman, but I was with her when she did them. So I could be there to cheer her on. Mm -hmm. And one of her acts that I found interesting was in New Zealand, she gave away her road bike and they're very expensive, but she gave it away yeah. to a young man who wanted to take up and learn iron and to become an Ironman in a small town in New Zealand mm. and she handed over her bike. Wow. And then I look back now and I know why. She was giving away her possessions to people that she thought that needed them. Mm. On, on July 5th of 2020, just two months ago, she uh, disappeared from our house. She was living with us. We'd moved into a much bigger house and it was easier for her. She had a suite here in the house and she had her cat. And my husband said to me on that Sunday evening, I can't find Jackie. And they were best friends, my husband and my sister, which is a great thing. Yeah. And so uh, we decided to call the sheriff's department and the sheriff's department came out and they said, well, she's just a missing person. I said, no, She's tried suicide before. Can you please put her down as endangered? They wouldn't do it. So she was missing. So I got on Facebook and I wrote to every person I knew and every person I knew wrote to somebody else. So it trickled down all over the place and um, everyone was looking for her and, and there are certain areas where they lived. And in my mind, I kept saying, She's in the woods, she's in the woods. And I'm not sure why I knew that. 
and behind our house are some very thick woods. And I told the sheriff's department deputies that her dental shoes were missing. Now, normally she would wear flip-flops. That was her way because she would just walk her cat around the house, walk her cat outside, come back in, put her flip-flops, take her flip-flops off in the room where it's carpeted, put them back on, go back outside with the cat. Uh, she had a very strict regimen about cleanliness. Well, her dental shoes were gone and there was a seven page note left for her cat. Oh and God. it was about how to take care of him all the way from his, because he's young, all the way through his life until his death and what she wanted to have done with his ashes. So I showed it to the sheriff's department and they still wouldn't say that she was in danger. Uh, and I said, there's no way she would have worn her dental shoes at all unless she were going out into some brush. Mm. So Monday passed, this was, that was on July 5th, uh, uh, Sunday. So Monday passed, no word, I'm texting her everywhere. And then we found her, uh, her phone in the house. Now she would never leave without her phone, yeah. never. Tuesday passed and I'm still texting her thinking somehow she's hearing this. Tuesday passed, Tuesday night passed, Wednesday came, Wednesday came and went and my heart just sank because she had no food, no water, um, no, she had no provisions. Thursday, I begged the sheriff's department to please bring a sniffer dog out and they did and while they were tape recording my statement and my husband's statement about Jackie's disappearance, the dog sniffed the blanket. I could see out of the corner of my eye, it, the, we have big picture windows and I could see the dog in the backyard sniffing in a bag, my sister's blanket. And then he took off like a shot into the woods, right where I thought he would. And he went, he was only gone about maybe two minutes, two minutes and made that sound. And I said, he found her. Uh, she had overdosed on prescription medication. They were not illegal medications, they were prescription. Because of COVID-19, you can get 90 day supplies of prescriptions. Mm. So she had a 90 day supply of a drug that's for your heart that actually causes respiratory distress and another drug uh, that's used for sleep called temazepam, 90 day prescription of that which caused respiratory distress and she died under a tree, a beautiful tree out in the woods. And so um, my husband came into my bedroom to tell me that she was gone. They had paramedics here because they were afraid that I would melt down. I let out a primal scream and then I quieted down and I thought, get your act together and go out and see people that your daughter, I have a daughter, my husband, uh, the police officers and everything to thank them for what they did and to the paramedics to tell them I'm, I don't need to go to the hospital. So that night, um, a lot of crying, but then I thought, I am part of a group of people 
through the Suicide Prevention Training Institute who have been through this. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about the teachings that we've, we, the things that we've learned, not teachings, but the ideas that we've learned and the way to cope with things. Um, so I started using those coping mechanisms yeah. and it helped a great deal. What um, are those coping mechanisms? Those coping mechanisms are um, to get closer to your family, mm-hmm. to find friends that will listen to you talk incessantly about your loved one, yeah. um, someone who might listen to the details of what you're talking about and not be afraid mm-hmm. uh, and not just get up and say, I can't listen to this. Close friends. Wrap yourself in the love of other people and also go back to the hobbies you once had. Don't shun them and try and find the quick fix through a book that talks about healing or things like that. There are some good books out there on healing, but some of them may send you in the wrong direction. So uh, we're very careful about that. The Suicide Training Prevention Institute tries to do a proactive um, uh, pr- proactive discussion on suicide to keep people from committing suicide, but they're very good at helping when people like me need help with suicides because they've had that in their family. Well, Jennifer, I mean, it's only been a few months since the loss of your twin sister. I'm so incredibly sorry. And I'm so incredibly grateful that you have the courage and the will to talk about it because we need you right now. We need to hear this story. And um, I'm completely lost in what you're saying because I, I can't imagine losing a father to suicide and then losing your sister. It has to be um, very traumatic. It, it is traumatic. And it is... Um... I feel like it's not so much a burden as a starting point, a moment in time of thinking, and I cried, I cried a lot and I I suffered a lot, but I felt as though I needed to wrap myself up in my uh, organization, the nonprofit organization. I needed to go back to work and get back on track she would have wanted that. And so would my father. Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're able to speak about this in your work, which I'm quite sure brings a lot of, of grace during such a horrible time, knowing that what you're doing is helping somebody else. That's what I want to do. That's my goal is to help someone else not suffer this pain. And um, if I can help prevent even one or two suicides, then I've done something good. I've, I've tried to, I'm trying to help to discuss what's left behind. And my sister and I were actually interviewed when we were 14 by the Miami Herald. And they asked us one question separately. And the question was this, if one of you were to die and one was to live, which one would you want to be? And we both answered. Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. 
They are so cool, and they're here in Tampa Bay, if you're a Tampa Bay listener. Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I worked with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Thai Technology Rocks. I would want to be the one that lived. Hmm. And they said, why? When, why? Why would you want to be the one that lived? And the answer to that, we both said was, the one that lives, lives on with the pain forever. The one who dies is out of that pain. Well, I didn't see the signs of my sister's depression and anxiety and the COVID and how COVID-19 was affecting her. She never never got COVID-19, but her dental practice was shut down. Her best friend died of cancer. Her other good friend passed away, and she had stopped training. She had just stopped one day. And those things, in when you look at the whole of the matter, you see someone in incredible pain. So um, that's my backstory about why I'm so active with a group that I helped start, the Suicide Prevention Training Institute. Um, but well, I have to ask you a question, Jennifer. Sure. And it might not be very comfortable. Okay. Um, I want to know what you're doing for yourself today. Today. I am working a full schedule at work. I am doing work for the uh, Suicide Prevention Training Institute. And I am smothering my daughter and my husband and my <laughs> friends in um, doing things, having, the other day I had a Parisian uh, dinner party. It was all Parisian. There were Eiffel Towers and there were candle lit, it was all candle lit dinner. And my daughter made the dinner because she's an incredibly great gourmet chef. She's 21 and she's at uh, USF studying psychology. So yeah, so she's, um, and she's a strong, strong young lady. So I be in that profession. You have to be. Yes, you have to be uh, to be that. And she's going on for her doctorate, um, and so we're very proud of her. Uh, well, I, I brought that. I asked that question because, of course, you know, as an empath, I'm concerned about you. That's number oh, one. Thank you. Well, I don't know any human being that isn't breathing in and out that wouldn't be concerned about um, a beautiful woman such as yourself that just lost her twin sister to suicide in the backyard of your home. Right. So I, um, and I being somebody who suffered from depression and attempted suicide when I was um, a young adult, and I have my mother in the backyard swimming today, um, (laughs) which is great for me to see because I, and I'm sure it's, you know, maybe not great all the time for her to see me, you know, because it's 26 years later and I'm good now. But I'll never forget, how gracious my family was to allow me to heal and to allow me to go through my depression and get me the help that I needed because it was just, there's so many people that just don't know what to do at all. 
That's right. What to do. So in my parents' case, you know, I was lucky enough to get the right help. I was in um, a therapist that asked me if I was suicidal. Sometimes it's just that question. Are you having suicidal thoughts? And I said, yes. And it was the first time I had ever acknowledged that I was thinking about suicide. And I think that that question can be, well, I know that that question can save a life because it saved mine. Right. And it was the beginning of the end of isolation, the end of that, oh my God, I'm keeping it to myself for so long. And all yes. of the, the trials and tribulations that your sister was going through. I mean, I have a very good friend who's a dentist who struggled terribly through his practice and I'm sure is still right now. It's such a difficult time in the world. It and is. I'm not going to talk about it now. When are we gonna talk about it, right, Jennifer? You're right, if it's not now, when, when, if it's not with what all that's happening in the world, and especially with dentists, they have a 15% um, higher uh, suicide rate, 15 times more apt than, the, than uh, another human to commit suicide. And so the writing was on the wall for my sister and I was seeing it, but I, didn't put two and two together, even though I've been getting help since my father passed away. So since my father's suicide, I've been seeing a psychiatrist and a therapist since then. That's great news. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but I am just so grateful to hear that because how on earth can anybody survive this trauma without that kind of help? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there were times where I ended up with psychiatrists that wanted to try some odd things. And I, you just have to think about it and say, well, that may not be for me. But in the end, when you get through the mire, you, you, find, you, you find what you need. And I found what I needed, what my body needed. And um, I succeeded in going back to work after my dad died within a month um, and with my twin sister it was six weeks maybe five weeks about that to going back to work to get back into a routine but I do have some yeah can you because I'm thinking about all of the people that are listening that may have just lost somebody to either suicide or overdose or so many people are are getting painkillers right now or the being prescribed, you know, I work in the medical industry. I mean, I know it all too well. Um, being somebody that's a drug addict and an alcoholic in recovery, it's so dangerous right now to be over prescribing, but at the same token, we're in a pandemic. Giving somebody a 90 day supply of something doesn't seem so outrageous, right? right. And your, your sister, obviously a very intelligent woman to make it through dental school, um, you know, and, and to, to grow up around the people that love her so much, such as you, yes. <laughs> um, and and your husband being her best friend. I mean, your your poor husband as well. I'm thinking about his own heartache. Everybody's suffering through their own trauma through this. So, if you were to offer one thing that has helped you the most through this, what would it be? Maybe not one. Maybe you could give me three things. I could give you a couple. Um, hearing from friends. And that's one of the things that we discuss is pick up the phone. Don't just text. Don't just, the, the letters and the cards and the flowers are great. But two weeks later, three weeks, pick up the phone and call that person. Mm -hmm. And let 
me as someone who's grieving talk to you about what I feel that day. Maybe I want to talk about my dogs that day, or maybe I want to talk about my twin sister and what a beautiful, beautiful person she was. Um, and uh, how she was the top of her class in, in dental school and went on to her endodontic residency with no problem and became an endodontist. Um, and then became a triathlete that some of those things are so very important to me because twins tend to live through each other sure. and so that's one of them uh one of the ideas and the other is that when you're feeling like it's too much you pick up the phone and if you have to call the national hotline for prevention of suicide or 911, they will get you in contact with who you need to talk to. Do it before you pick up that that prescription bottle or that gun or that that knife or you hang yourself. Definitely pick up the phone and call 911, mm -hmm. and they'll put you through to the national um, hotline for suicide prevention. And that is something that I would tell every young child starting in school growing up because my daughter had depression when she was a young girl and we never knew it. Mm -hmm. And we just thought she was quiet, but she actually was suffering from depression. So I would like to start it at a younger age. Yes. I would I like not to talk. But what, so what do we say? Are you depressed? Yes, actually you do. When you, when you come across someone who has these changes in their attitude, in their perceptions, and in their hobbies, in their work life, you say, are you feeling depressed? Mm -hmm. I'm listening to you. And you let them speak as long as they want. And you say to them, I'm here to help you. How can I help you? Well, yeah. I, if they say, I'm not sure, be ready to give them the National Suicide Hotline Prevention number or say, call 911. Let's call 911. Yeah. Let's get it out there. Let's talk about it. It's, it's an action plan that the, that the company, that the, the uh, charitable organization that we started can give to others um, and I'm happy to share it with your audience. Um, and it, it's about responding instead of sitting back idly. And I'm one to talk. Mm. I am one to talk because I started this organization with these others some eight months ago, nine months ago. And uh, I watched my sister ever so slowly go into a deep depression, but it had happened before. And I just thought it was another moment. Um, yes, I mean, and I talk about this in my book. I wrote a whole chapter to the families of people that lost their, their loved ones to suicide or addiction. You know, I've always said that it was, first of all, nobody would have ever known that I was having thoughts of suicide because right. I, we are the great pretenders. Um, and I think that that's why we need to be asked specific questions. Yes. Because we might look at somebody and say, oh, they're just going through a rough patch or, but you know, to really keep nudging, to keep, keep asking. That's it's nobody's fault. My parents, well, you know, my mom in the backyard right now, 
she would come into my room and I would have the blinds closed and she would tell me to go outside and get some exercise. She didn't know that I would have rather died than go outside and get some exercise because I was so shut off to the world. I just wanted to be in my hole. But if she asked me if I would say, I would say yes. That's exactly right. So the questions are simple questions. How are you feeling? Are you okay? How can I help you? Are you feeling suicidal? Are you thinking about killing yourself? And as you go through the questions, if you do find that you're getting yes, 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 do something. Actually do something about it. Take them to the emergency room. Take them to a mental health clinic. Take them somewhere. Don't just let them sit there and say, well, tonight I don't have that friend at work or that friend on the phone. So tonight is the night I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I definitely believe in what you're saying, Sharon. Well, I mean, I'm alive today because I, um, I said yes to that question. I'm oh. alive today because of it. I said yes when that therapist said, are you having suicidal thoughts? And I said yes, because I was planning my death. And I was still planning my death up until he had asked me that question. So um, it's a very difficult thing. A lot of people have a lot of um, wrong information when it comes to suicide. They point it as something that is a selfish act. Of course, the only reason I stayed on this earth as long as I was planning was because I didn't want to be a burden to my family. I didn't want to be a burden to my friends. Just like your father who set up the life insurance policy, he was taking care of everything and felt bad about the financial, um, what he thought might have been not, not providing enough. We care so much, actually, that we feel like it would be just easier for everybody around us if we weren't here anymore. And that, right. that's my personal experience, right? So I can only speak of my personal experience. But more people that have actually been through it, that have actually know what it's like to lose somebody, to know what it's like to lose multiple people. And we can only improve because it's such a difficult thing. It's so difficult to isolate when somebody is actually thinking about ending their life. I want to say more things yeah. to Jennifer, though, that you really hit home that I don't want to let go. I have to do better myself at picking up the phone and calling. You know, 9-11 is coming and I'm from New York and my best friend at the time, she lost her dad to the Twin Towers coming down. And I would have friends all around me asking me, what can I do? And I'm just call her. Like she needs to hear your voice. And a lot of people, because we don't realize how silly it sounds when we say, well, I don't know what to say, or I'm uncomfortable. Well, it's time for all of us to get uncomfortable. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's time for us to be uncomfortable to save people's lives. Yes. Our birthday came and went on August 24th. And I had people calling our birthday was August 24th and people called me, people sent cards for me and for Jackie. And I thought that was brilliant. Um, and people picked up the phone and said, how are you today? What are you doing for yourself? What, what, how is your family enveloping you today or your friends? So you're so right, Sharon, we have to get uncomfortable. We have to be able to ask those questions. Are you, are you in need of help? Are you feeling depressed? 
we have to be able to say those questions to our coworkers, to our friends, and then pick up that phone. If it's bad enough, take the person to where they need to go. And I don't, I want to give one other example. After I had my daughter, I had extreme postpartum depression. Mm. And my friend, Barbara Ard, who had only been to my house, my, she was a lawyer with me at the attorney general's office, and she'd only been to my townhouse once. And she heard me on the phone one night when she called me and said, how are you doing? The baby's screaming in the background, and I'm crying. And she said, okay. And it was probably nine or 10 o'clock at night. She said, okay, I'll talk to you in a little bit. She was at my house in 20 minutes, hmm. got through the gate somehow, <laughs> was at my front door and said, pack a bag, I'm taking you to the hospital. And she saved my life. She saved my life. I bet. You know, it's, it is so important. I just interviewed um, a young lady, Mallory Taylor, who lost her good friend to suicide a few years ago and then started a company, a technology company that helps in, in healthcare about mental health and now has moved on to be her own consultant. And, and her and I were having a discussion about just how we're feeling now. And she said, you know, I have friends in my life today that will, will FaceTime me because they want to see me because I might ignore their phone calls, I might ignore their texts, but we need people in our lives that know us well enough to see the patterns and then willing to be uncomfortable and just show up or FaceTime somebody because we can't, we can't lose any more lives. Jennifer. No, we can't, we can't. We're so, losing so many. Yeah. And um, it's, if you look at the statistics, it will be very bad for this year. It will be terrible. It will be unbearable how many people we will have lost. And we're, we're talking about first responders. We're talking about teachers and dentists and physicians and yeah. do doctors and, and uh, pharmacists and um, uh, other people that do... People uh, that work at Publix that didn't right. show up for work during the pandemic. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's so many people that are, um, we're all in this global pandemic together. We all need to fight to keep each other mentally well. And the only mentally way well. is to have these strong, uncomfortable, difficult conversations that will only lead to maybe helping that one person that we want to help. So um, Jennifer, I hope that we have an opportunity to speak again. We will have all the information about your nonprofit and all of the information and of course the suicide prevention hotline um, for everybody. Perfect. So um, I'm just so grateful that I was able to talk to you today. You're doing, you're doing God's work out there, Jennifer. That's Thank you. And so are you. Thank you for everything. And I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget to check out Thai Technology. Anyone that mentions this podcast or the Facebook show will receive three free months of service. T-I-E Technology. Check them out. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. We would love it if you subscribed. This way you'll get notified every time there's a new episode, which in fact are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Please feel free to leave a review. It really helps us, and we appreciate your support. Thank you.